Hi everyone, Al Rodriguez here. And before we get started, I wanted to let you know that this is the last episode for a long time. Uh, I am essentially dropping this in order to get some more time back in my life. There is a lot of work that goes into a podcast. There's a lot of pre-show work, the uh, choosing questions for the interview, etc., all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then there's the post-work of editing the episodes, and that also takes up a lot of time. And that's the the whole reason for, for dropping it, unfortunately. So I don't know at all what the future will bring. Maybe I'll end up bringing this show back in a year or seven or something. Maybe it'll be better than ever. Maybe I'll just do small seasons in the future. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, or, hey, maybe someone else will take over. If you're interested, let me know. Uh, in the meantime, there are a ton, probably a metric ton. I, I don't know which which ton. Either way, a ton, imperial or metric, of actual great other shows that follow the same format you know, interviewing someone else in the software industry. So I know I'm not leaving you high and dry and you can find them and download them wherever it is you get your podcasts, which I'm sure you've already done with many of them. I'm you probably have like 20, 30 downloaded, you know, same, just like myself. Anyway, now I'm rambling. So let's get on with the show. This is Developer SideQuest, the podcast, the show that highlights the different ways we all level up our software development skill set. I'm your party leader, Al Rodriguez, and today we're chatting with another player character, Joe Zach. Hi, Joe. How are you doing today? Hey, Al. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Of course. I'm glad you're here. So everyone, uh, Joe Zach is a druid of the moon, able to take the shape of the animal that best suits the needs of the moment. Sometimes that animal is a newt. And sometimes it's a giant octopus, but either way, Joe is always ready to lend a tentacle, or whatever. Lately, he's been anamorphing between Elasticsearch, C-Sharp, and Gatsby.js, and you can find him on most social media platforms using the at CodingBlocks handle. All right, so uh, very first question that I have for you, are you a big fan of anamorphs? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you asked me about that. <laughs> Let me tell you, first of all, I'm a big fan of the show, and I was really excited just to kind of write that little intro there. But I it was so desperate to sneak Animorph in there somehow, so I kept trying to rewrite it and try to get it in there. And no, I'm not a big fan. I thought the books were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the covers are awful. And that, that's actually what I liked about it was just they look so silly. So if, if you Google Animorphs, and uh, I'm sure it'll come up, you'll see the, the old book covers from these books from the, the 80s and 90s. Where these kids would transform into like the weirdest animals and would show these like weird metamorphosis, uh, these phases in between. I just thought it was so goofy that I just I just had to reference it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I haven't seen any of these images in years. I'm like looking at them right now. And, and you're right. They are incredibly cheesy yeah so great i think the person did it by the hand they just kind of like drew out each little phase of the transformation there yeah that that would make sense i'd believe that <laughs> um wow i forget how many there were too like every every time someone reminds me how many books there were it's it's crazy it was i don't know 70 60 somewhere in that range i, I remember it being pretty high up there that's incredible that makes me very happy <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess that's enough Animorphs talk. Um, so let's let's move on. So what, what was your quest? I guess the first actual real question. Uh, what are you here to talk about? Yeah, sure. So I'm a bit of a serial, uh, ser serial side projectist. I like to make a lot of side projects. I like to try things and put them out there for people to see and kind of see what sticks and see what people like and, and just see how it goes. 
And uh, about a year ago, I had an idea for like a podcast discovery service because, you know, I, I do a podcast and sometimes we do topics where uh, we don't bring in other people. We just kind of talk about our own experiences, which leaves me having to do a lot of research sometimes if I want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. And so I wanted a tool where I could search for podcast episodes by topic rather than subscribing to a show and just hearing everything that comes out. And so I worked together a little uh, prototype and did it and put it out there and it worked. And I really enjoyed it. It was a great resource for me for the show. But what was surprising and what was different than like all my other side projects before is that a few other people uh, that listened to the, the podcast and heard me talking about it were interested in as well. And because it was an open source project, they started uh, working with me and contributing and kind of getting things together. And uh, it was just a whole new experience for me. It was really cool. And uh, we ended up launching it as QIT. So just letters QIT.cloud. And uh, it's still out there, still doing great. And it was just such a cool experience that uh, I just wanted to come on and talk about it because I just thought it was really neat. <laughs> well, cool. So so I was playing around with it a little bit before and um, it was it was really interesting. So so tell us about the the project itself. Like what exactly is the application? Sure. So um, the way it works now is there's basically a, a website component, which is a, a React app where you can go in, you can search for topics. So you can search for like .NET or Elasticsearch or really the, the more narrow a topic you search for, the better. And then it will run a search out on uh, Azure Search, which is a search service, you know, search database, uh, search engine rather, that has a free tier, which is super important because, you know, I do a lot of side projects. So I like to focus on things that I can put out there and keep out there for either free or very low cost. That way I don't ever have to decide or have to rarely decide when to kind of take them down essentially. So uh, that was really exciting. And it's still really exciting to me that I'm able to run this whole application off of a free tier uh, for the search engine. And then there's a little Node.js app that runs in the background too that like goes out and pulls and picks up the RSS feeds and, and loads them into the search engine. And that runs me about six cents per month to run on Azure Functions. So I'm very excited about that as well. And oh, you know what? I almost forgot. We do have a back end now where you can log in and it'll uh, save your queue and your playlist across devices. And that was written in Ruby on Rails and with uh, Postgres. And that takes me, uh, costs about $5 a month to host on a Linode. So, I, right. realize, so I probably sound really cheap right now, but I just, I love the idea of being able to put stuff out there and just share things with people for free. And so if I do a, a side project every couple of months and I'm not paying five bucks a month, I'm paying, you know, 30, 40, 60. That gets really expensive real fast. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, the uh, I'm so glad that you know we get to use all of these cool services at a incredibly cheap cost for the most part. I mean, um, Azure Functions, you said what six cents a month, and that's probably just the paying for the storage of them, right? Because I, I know there's a minimum cost for that. You're probably not even hitting the one million free monthly. Uh, requests. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think about that. I never really looked to see where that six cents came from. But yeah, it's uh, it's tiny on computer. It runs every couple of hours and a, a total run for, uh, I think we've got about 70 or so podcasts indexed there. Uh, it, it takes less than a minute. So, you know, the, the total compute time in a month is just a handful of minutes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, really, really kind of uh, bare minimum right there. Although a nice different set of technologies. So you've got a couple of things in Azure and some things on uh, Linode servers and all that. Um, so 
uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about the the how the application was created. So it seems like a like at this point, for the most part, it's a fully fleshed uh, application. Um, it's PWA, and it has uh, some backend things that I guess you could call it a serverless app. I'm I'm not sure. I'm never a hundred percent sure if I can or not. Yeah, it's hard to say. I wouldn't call it a serverless app just because uh, the the only serverless access, you know, yeah, I guess it's tough. The only serverless like Azure Functions thing that I use is actually just kind of a background process. So I wouldn't call that it, you know, really a part of the web app itself. But I guess in one sense, it is a, a progressive web app. So you can install it on your phone, listen on the go. And if you lose your internet connection, whatever, it doesn't disrupt your service as long as you've got those episodes uh, downloaded, but you're not going to be able to, to search. Uh, but it is uh, running up on Netlify there, which is, uh, you know, uh, it's essentially a CDN, but it's often referred to as a serverless platform because there's no FTP going on or there's no pushing or pulling. It's just basically to pull, it deploys whenever I push to GitHub. Which can I also say how cool that is with Netlify? Like I've got a whole CI CD pipeline publishing from GitHub, deploying. If it's got previews, I can deploy to branches and do all sorts of fun, cool stuff. And that's all also free, even with HTTPS. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, I've I've never really uh, worked with Netf- Netlify before. I made an account once and looked at their their stuff, and I just it's on my list uh, to to really play around with that. But um, actually setting up that build, going from from GitHub to well to being hosted on Netlify, um, how how is that? Is that one of those things where like you kind of have to do a lot of manual stuff, or is it one of those? Um, they they create the different types of steps that you need for actually deploying things, or is it somewhere in the middle? So it's ridiculously easy if you go down that path from the beginning. I don't know what it would be like for kind of starting with uh, an app that's already existing and trying to kind of slice it off and get that up into pieces. But if you go down the prescribed path of kind of having all your stuff at the root and having um using you know kind of modern frameworks that it knows how to interact with, then it's easy, no problem. And I want to say too, um, all the stuff I just mentioned, like. Uh, React, even Postgres, Ruby on Rails, a lot of those things were technologies I had Linode like basically no experience with. But because I was collaborating with other people on the project, who came in with different perspectives and different ways of wanting to do things, and we kind of had a let's see, not very prescriptive development process. We just kind of said like, if you want to build it, build it, and as long as we can afford to to host it and we're not uh, busting the bank, let's just go for it. So uh, even Netlify was something that someone brought in and said, hey, there's this thing I heard about called Netlify. I think we can host this for free. Like fantastic, and so now, thanks to other people's perspectives and things that they worked in, I got to experience like a much wider uh, kind of vision of things that I don't typically work with in a day. Like I'm I'm a .NET developer. This stuff, you know, Postgres, Ruby on Rails, these are things that are are normally outside my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it, it kind of seems like it, um, like it's uh, it's definitely that that combination of, of thoughts because I'm I'm looking at the source code right here on GitHub. And I'm seeing a, a good handful of, of different things, just like what you mentioned, you know, Ruby uh, files. Uh, I'm seeing, uh, I'm guessing that this is deployed as a, a Docker application, or at least deployed to Netlify, because I'm seeing some uh, Docker YAML files there. Yeah, it gets a little weird because um, we we recently, uh, or uh, you know, I say we as if I did anything. Um, MVP. <laughs> so Nicholas uh, wrote an API there, and so we ended up splitting these out. So now I just wanted to keep that deployment process going easy. Uh, we did end up splitting out a repo so that the search indexer, the thing that actually loads the search uh, engine, is located in another repository, but then we have the main repository with the website. And we did that because Netlify just it wants to kind of take in the whole repo. And so it, it works easier if you just have one repo for each little slice, 
which was something that was actually the thing that we had the the, the most kind of controversy or the most discussion over was whether to have one big repo with everything you need to run it. So you could just do one clone and one command essentially to spin the whole thing up. Or did we want to put this stuff into different repositories that could all be deployed independently from those repositories? And we went back and forth uh, a couple different times. I think we even uh, changed uh, once or twice, but now it is split in half and we're looking at maybe even splitting it further. And so getting that Ruby on Rails uh, stuff out of there into its own project so it can be deployed independently. And so, you know, it just gets weird. I don't like, I'm not real comfortable with making decisions for how the project should be uh, split up based on where it's going to get deployed. So I guess you can tell which side of the argument I was kind of on there. But, uh, you know, so to me, it seems simpler to just be able to check out the whole thing and be able to say like, hey, just run this. And there's no confusion about how to link to stuff because GitHub doesn't really have good support for saying like these three repositories are are interlinked and codependent. And yeah, I, you know, I still don't know how I feel about that, but it did make for an easier deployment process because, you know, one repo goes one direction, one repo goes the other. Yeah, that I, I can see that the uh, well, why the discussion went uh, back and forth on that. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, I, I got to say, um, it wouldn't be a true uh, software project if you didn't bike shed it at least once and just talk about something completely uh, against the concept of what the application is. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, you know how these things go. Uh, it's been really great. Um, uh, now we're still doing a, a bunch more changes and I've been the bottleneck for something because I've been um, switching things over to Elasticsearch from Azure Search. That's kind of a one person job. So we don't really want to do too much work on it until that big change has been made and I just haven't been slacking on doing it. You know, I've been doing other things, work's been busy. And so I haven't really gotten to it. And so there's been a lull in the project lately and I apologize to everyone for causing that lull. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's open source. It's all volunteer work, right? I mean, that happens. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's actually really nice. Cause uh, I do like the idea that if anyone wants to take the app and uh, rebrand it for, you know, ponies or, I'm just leave it as it is and just host it somewhere else. And they're totally free to do that. And I always wanted to make sure like from the beginning to let everyone know that that was totally fine. And everyone who who came on, I wanted them all to know that like one of these people that you're working with could take this project and, you know, do something else with it, could fork it, could sell it, could do whatever they want. And we just all have to be okay with that. Yeah, that's always true. Uh, and just kind of pointing this out since I you know looked at it now that, that you mentioned it, um, you also went with the MIT license, which uh, I guess is, or which I have to say is is pretty much my f my favorite uh, open source license because it's the do whatever you want with it license. Yeah, do whatever you want. And uh, there is kind of like that little uh, clause in there about uh, attribution. And I think there's uh, something about um, like a <laughs> alleviating me of guilt or something. Uh, I, f I forget what it was. But anyway, like I decided on MIT license a long time ago for all my projects and haven't really thought about it much since. But I like the idea of having a permissive license that also uh, hopefully gets me some attribution just because it's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's kind of move on a, a little bit more. Um, so what I, I know we've already talked a lot about the tech stack itself and like the different technologies you've used. Um, so as far as the Azure functions themselves go and the Azure search stuff, is that all .NET because you said that you have the, the .NET background or was that all coded in something completely different? So it's all coded in something completely different. Um, I think I just started out with Node.js for the actual indexer because it was easy. And my uh, initial prototype was actually uh, was done in Elasticsearch. I did it for a meetup here in Orlando for the backend developer group. And uh, I'm just a huge fan of search engines in general. I, 
uh, particularly Elasticsearch. I love what it can do. I love how easy it is for me to do things that are are typically hard for me when I'm working in like a, a traditional relational database. And so I'm always trying to do cool projects around search engines. And uh, so I started with Elasticsearch, but ended up porting to Azure Search just because of that free tier. And at the time when we started this, there wasn't really uh, a good cheap option for Elasticsearch. I think the minimum price I figured out was like 50 bucks or something. But the good news is that since then, there's now an option where you, we can switch over to Elasticsearch for around $16 a month, which isn't terrible. Oh, okay. That's that's considerably better than 50 So yep. And you can always self-host too, but uh, I'd rather not do that just because you know, if I'm running on a Linux server and now I'm talking about Ruby on Rails and Postgres and Elasticsearch all running on a, a $5 a month server, and it just gets kind of yucky. So I'd, I'd rather just get that stuff to the cloud. Besides, one day I might hit Reddit or something and go nuts and I want to be able to support that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's never fun having to having to manage those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although it never quite works out as easy as I think. You know, it's it's not like moving to the cloud is some silver bullet where I can go from a you know fifty users a day to, to five million. So I think uh, I'm either going to be putting in some credit card numbers or, or would have to do something in order to kind of enable that. I think I've got some price limits set up on Azure that would specifically keep me from being able to handle that situation, and I'm okay with that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always good to to make sure you don't get the surprise five thousand dollar bill at the end of the month. Yep. Yeah, I did have a, the first month. We did have a surprise two hundred fifty dollar uh, bill because I managed to select the wrong plan. So, Ooh. yeah. Oops. Ah, okay. All right. Well, you know, lesson learned, right? Yeah, that's, that's for definitely sure. A one time mistake. <laughs> uh, so, um, as you've you've gone through this uh, now, I, I know you've kind of already mentioned a few of these things, but overall, um, what have you learned while going through this project? Uh, and it kind of sounds like there's a bunch of different things that you learned from other people and probably other things that you, you probably learned yourself as you were making this project. Um, how much of this was completely new to you? You know, uh, the prototype wasn't new to me at all. I originally did it in just vanilla JS and, um, and Elasticsearch, which were things that I already kind of knew. And at the time I hadn't even heard of PWAs and someone said, you know, this would be a good use case for PWA. And that's how we kind of got the ball started. He came on, made the React site, and we just kind of went from there. And at the time, I hadn't even worked with React very much. I just barely kind of done a couple of demos and tutorials. And so it was really cool to kind of see that. And also kind of scary to see this thing that you kind of envisioned and like started, like be converted to something that looks totally weird, especially the syntax for React looked very weird to me in the way it, uh, the HTML and JavaScript was very strange to me. And so it was kind of weird to see someone kind of take your baby and change it so much. But he just did a fantastic job with it. And I learned a lot out of it. And actually, um, that's really kind of what I learned from the whole project is just how to better deal with with other people and especially volunteers, people who are just putting up their own time because they're excited about something and, and because they want to. And so I really learned a lot about that and just communicating and uh, really learned about how bad I was and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but I do feel like I'm stronger for it. And I'm so, so grateful for the time just because of the stuff that I, that I learned from it. Of course, you know, and having the project is amazing. I use it all the time for looking up specific things in order to research it and also just keep up on uh, like whenever new episodes kind of roll in for like Elasticsearch or uh, .NET, something else I'm interested in. And it's a good way to find stuff. But uh, also just um, the priorities and perspectives. Like obviously I'm, I mentioned React and PWAs and, and uh, Postgres and Ruby on Rails. So that was cool to see. But really it's just... Um, learning to deal and learning how to interact with people that come from such different perspectives on a single project. You know, like I work with other people at work, but we're all kind of in the same echo chamber. We're all using the same code, the same tools. We've worked together for years. We've solved things in the same way. We all use the same ticketing system. 
So to have people that are kind of coming uh, like from those different perspectives in the same day, literally coming in right from work or right from whatever they're doing from their, their boot camp and contributing and and it's just really refreshing and really cool. And so that was really cool. And it's really changed how I think about projects. And I think so I'm going to focus more now on trying to make sure that my projects are interesting to people and trying to get people involved more often and making sure that that's the kind of things that people want to get involved with from the get-go, which has changed how I th- think about uh, setting up the repositories. I used to just throw everything up on GitHub, like Scattershot. But now that people are kind of following and I, I know some of the personalities and some of the people behind it, I don't want to just put garbage up on GitHub because they're seeing my notifications. And I'd rather if they see uh, something in their history or you know their follow list, whatever in GitHub, uh, for me, I want them to think like, maybe that's something that they would want to check out. And so I'm trying to be more conscientious about that. And so uh, that also leads to doing things like having better readmes and better documentation and better getting started instructions. And we definitely need more of that in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I want to mention too, um, with this particular app, uh, one way it's very different from every other side project I've ever had is it had a like a clear mission. It had like a finish line. You know, of course, there's like lots of features and little cool things and things that we'd love to add. You know, we've got a bunch of tickets in there. But at the end of the day, we, we all kind of agreed on this shared vision of what the user experience wanted to be like. They wanted to find podcasts about a topic and they wanted to be able to listen to. Them. And we all agree on that. And so there wasn't any real disagreement about the core vision. And if I look back at most of my other side projects, it really wasn't clear, even to me looking back at it, what exactly I wanted to get to. Okay. So so having that vision is really helpful for the for the goal, continuously making sure that the application you're creating is is the thing that you're actually aiming for. You're not just making features because it's fun to create them as a developer. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with other people working on a project, you can't just have a, you know, hey, let's go add stuff, add whatever you like. And it's, you're going to end up working at cross purposes. You're going to implement things in different ways. You're going to, it just does, I don't even think you could get people to work on something if it didn't have like a clear defined goal for people to move towards. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially for open source software, right? I mean, you, you want to make sure that everyone's roughly somewhere within the same page because everyone else benefits from it. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, can't even imagine what it's like to to be the kind of the, the owner or maintainer of a, a much larger project. I've had a couple open source projects that have done okay, you know, to, in terms of like stars or forks or whatever, but there's never really been much communication. They all kind of, you know, like they would get pull requests sometimes and sometimes they would accept them and sometimes they wouldn't. But I can't imagine having like a, you know, something like the the React team or the Linux kernel or, or uh, you know, whatever, some other big open source project that has that level of kind of interaction with the community like the python's got like steering committees and it just uh i have a lot more respect for that sort of thing after trying to deal with even just you know keeping up with email and some messages about like a small project that everyone agreed on (laughs) oh yeah and i mean that's basically a a small company at that point or a large company maybe depending on the amount of people that are needed i'm not actually 100 percent sure how many people uh work on on you know those committees or that kind of thing or volunteer for that really yeah, it's uh, it's a lot, and I know for Python is just they they had the uh the benefit uh what you call it, the um benevolent dictator for like just step down and so kind of shook things up and I was very interested in that because I had a different perspective on it now and I could see like not that I was uh, Guido or anything but I could see like a, a little bit I had a little bit of taste of that so I just had a little bit more respect for like what that meant for his life to kind of always be in that spot and dealing with those people and be responsible for that stuff and then 
you know, what it's like to kind of step down from that and just kind of give up something that you've put so much energy into and just say, you know, take it and do what you want with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely gotta, it's gotta be interesting because we'll all eventually retire at some point. Right. And that's the closest we'll get to, to that type of thing for some of us, or, or maybe uh, we'll create something and it'll be the same, uh, same concept. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting to just step away. Yeah, and even just having a lot of side projects, it was it's nice to have like a, a finish line to get to and to be able to get there and say, you know what, we're at version one and it's okay to have a lull in it. And just, it's really easy to walk away from a project when you're the only person on it. But when you're not, like you've got to kind of make some decisions there and like there's going to be times people aren't happy about those decisions, you know. Oh, it's, uh, it could be rough sometimes, but luckily uh, the people I work with are so amazing. Uh, uh, so I... I I really didn't have anything to, to, to work on or complain about or, or anything. They were all fantastic. It was just more about me not knowing, not being good at dealing with people. You know, there's a reason I, I work with computers. So I, I think I had some kind of anxiety around just, you know, day-to-day normal operations, you know, small talk type things, things that most people are probably good at and don't have problems with, but I do. So uh, it was very different for me to just to kind of have that level of interaction. And I definitely think I'm a better person for it. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a skill that that takes practice, and I'm I'm horrible at it too. And like I have my own trouble just getting through a podcast sometimes because I'm so bad at just thinking of of a next conversation topic. I mean, on the bright side, I have a list of questions that I can ask people, so that does help me out. Yeah, I've got a list of uh, notes here too, so uh, that doesn't work so well in, in person if you pull out the the note cards. Although I've done, <laughs> I've done it, <laughs> the poor effects, but that's another story. <laughs> okay well maybe sometime we'll talk about that but next i have one, one last question for you actually before uh we uh pretty much get to the end of this um when you were working on this project did anything surprise you like anything as far as a technology or um maybe some bug that turned out to be super weird or something that you learned that was like super nifty that now you love like maybe a technology or something to that effect yeah, um, actually, I got a really big change uh, in perspective. And what I mean by that is um, I kind of always thought of myself as full stack because I worked at small companies for a lot of my career and because I would solve problems end to end and I would do, you know, HTML things and I would do database things and CI kind of um, DevOpsy type things. But then in working on this project, I realized just how far out of touch I was with front end development and the, like the modern things like React and Netlify's and uh, progressive web apps. And seeing what other people could accomplish in HTML and JavaScript and with the modern tools was just life-changing to me. I, I realized that I had kind of gotten off the train at some point. I had JavaScript fatigue, like a lot of people have had, and I had kind of decided to just grab onto the next trend, maybe when Angular came around, and I just hadn't. So year after year went by, and these things were evolving and moving faster and faster and getting better and better, and I I was off, off the train. So it was... Uh, it was kind of scary to see just how much stuff you could do, particularly with a progressive web app, that were things that I had kind of always thought of being part of the backend domain. And so I kind of developed a little bit of friend end envy there because I realized just how much stuff you could do and just how much backend services and things like cloudy services kind of commoditized pieces of backend development, things that I had kind of clung to dearly. And suddenly they weren't so important anymore and there were other ways to do that. And so uh, it was a wake up call for me. And so that was the biggest thing that I got out of it. And I'm, now I'm trying to kind of 
uh, get back into doing that sort of thing. And I, I don't think I'm ever going to be a great front end developer, but I do like to be able to solve a problem end to end. And so I want to at least stay in touch with that. And I'm, I'm working on that now. Yeah, and that's definitely like a, a good skill. I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat where I was outside of the the front end UI stuff with uh, HTML, JavaScript, all that stuff for for years, and uh, I'm kind of in the learning it much more now type of uh, type of thing. And um, it's it's a little daunting at first, so some of those. But uh, once you get into it, it's it's starting to to you're, you're starting to really realize just okay, the tools are a lot better. Uh, the tutorials are, are a lot better. Now things have kind of stabilized a bit more. So, um, yeah. All right. Yeah, and there were things that I just thought you couldn't ever do with front-end technology, and I didn't realize that some of those have been taken over by things like Create React Apps. So I kind of thought I was Mr. Like, you know, I know how things really work here. And like, yeah, well, how are you going to do auth? And well, there were there were third-party services, and there were things like JWT tokens that took care of them. Like, well, how are you going to do environment variables? Because we need to have different settings for production and development. It's like, well, that's part of the things that react provides to you can you can still hide those secrets and use them at build time and then get the benefits from them at deployment time and there's just these things that i always taken for granted that you couldn't do that you absolutely can do now thanks to the, the modern tooling and so yeah, it's just uh, i'm still amazed and i'm still trying to play catch up here <laughs> it's it is great living in the future right yeah it's the, i swear it's never been a better time to be a developer oh yeah yeah so all right Cool. Well, I think that that is a, a good point to kind of leave it on uh, before we leave. Um, what is next for you? Like, what are what are your plans? Oh, gosh, uh, I've got too many plans. I'm still super interested in Elasticsearch. I'm doing a lot of stuff around uh, that at work right now. And, and work is actually eating up a, a lot of my spare time. And that's uh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm you know good with that. There's a lot of stuff that I want to be doing there. But it has taken away from some of my side projects, unfortunately. But I would like to bring some of that knowledge and some of the stuff I'm doing kind of uh, back into those side projects. So I, I do want to get things swapped over to Elasticsearch. And also I want to start bringing in uh, more things like tagging content. So if I know something that's about, uh, say, Gatsby JS, then I can also tag it as being JavaScript. Or if something's about, say, .NET, then maybe I can assume that it's also about uh, backend programming. Although I can't really say that anymore with Blazor. But anyway, that sort of level of thing. So I can kind of categorize stuff. And then from there, I'd like to uh, bring in other types of data, like blogs and videos and conferences. And, you know, the list goes on and on. I want to build like a giant search empire. And I want to convince the world that search engines are just super cool. And so that everyone can see can see what I see. So that's uh, kind of the vision I've got for at least probably the next year or so is just uh, really focusing in on the types of things that search engines are really good at solving and trying to kind of build stuff around that and share that vision. All right. Well, you've definitely piqued my interest. Um, I'm going to yes. uh, look into Elasticsearch and Azure Search a little bit after this because I've always heard of those things, never looked into them. So um, pretty much right after we get off, yeah, those keywords are going into a search engine and we'll see what happens there. All right. Awesome. Let me know. I'd, I'd love to uh, see what you uh, would you come come away from that with. All right. Yeah, we'll do. Um, and uh, where can everyone find you online? Specifically online, in person, if you want to say that, but you don't have to. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm pretty active in uh, some of the Orlando meetups. So if you're in the Central Florida region, then you could uh, hang out at the the like the .NET meetups and backend meetups are my usual go-tos. But online, if you just ping uh, at Coding Blocks or, or Google there, most of my social energy actually goes into kind of uh, doing things around that channel and kind of and stuff there. I don't really do too much around my own Twitter. So I'm not even going to mention my own Twitter. But if you just Google Coding Blocks, 
then uh, you'll find me pretty easily. <laughs> all right. Uh, and all of those links are in the show notes. So everyone, if you uh, forget easily, like I do, uh, you know, names, things like that, uh, you can just go ahead and find those show notes in whatever app it is that you use to find show notes. So, uh, Joe, good luck on all the future quests and everything. And uh, maybe you'll be back someday to talk about how you've leveled up and maybe show off all the cool loot you've plundered. And until next time, everyone, you can find this show on Twitter. We are at DevSideQuests, or you can go to our website, developersidequestpodcast.com. And if you could pretty please rate the show in whatever pod listening enchantment you subscribe to, uh, please do that too. All feedback is welcome. Always looking for feedback. All right, everyone, go work on a quest.